good afternoon. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. We'll read some verses together again. Luke chapter 1 and the verse number 67. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Zacharias in Luke 1 is introduced unto us as a priest in verse number 5. A certain priest named Zacharias. He's a man of God in a dark context. A man of God in days of spiritual darkness. A man of faith. You know, he struggled. Put it this way, he struggled with the promise of God. And he was stricken for these nine months with an absence of speech. And in that time of silence, we can see implied that God worked strong faith in his life. Came to the time of John's birth. Came to the time of circumcision. It came to the naming of John. And there is a little bit of a kerfuffle regarding what they're going to call this son of Zacharias. In verse 63, we see that he wrote, Zacharias wrote, that his name is John. And they marveled all. Because in the naming of his son, we see the faith of this man of God. John, meaning God is merciful. The introduction, I believe, to the song which will follow, verse number 72, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers. Here is Zacharias, a priest, a man of faith in dark days. How is your faith holding on to God at this time? The spiritual climate around us is, is not vibrant. It is cold. Days of declension where people are turning away from the word of God. Turning to religion of their own inventions. Are we staying strong in faith, believing in God who is merciful? And Zacharias is a priest who is strong in faith. Though others were turning their back upon God or away from God. He was also a, a prophet. You see in verse number 67, And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying. He's announcing God's word and God's works. That's what prophets do. He is a priest who serves as a prophet and who praises God. And his grasp of God flows out in praise. And it is that praise that I want to, to show you and to think about with you today. It is praise that arises out of good, sound, biblical doctrine. He knows his God. And knowing his God, that flows out in a heart of fervent praise unto God. Note, first of all, his theology. Notice theology. As I've said, he offers praise to God, verse number 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. This song is known as the Benedictus, the Latin for that first word of verse number 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He is exalting God. 
True praise exalts God and not self. Theology, the study of God, can at times become dry and academic. That is always a bad thing. To study God for the sake of studying God does not do honour to God. And thus theology should always set the heart of the studier on fire. There ought to be that flowing of praise when we rightly understand our God. Focus in biblical praise is always Godward. And when we praise God, we echo our view of God. God is all glorious. God is worthy of praise. And when we praise God, what are we doing? We are repeating our convictions regarding God. This is who we believe God is. Thus, the, the content of our praise is a reflection of the beliefs that we have concerning God. Our view of God inspires praise. And our praise declares our view of God. So when you get shallow doctrine, you will always get shallow praise. When God's church is truly on fire for God, there is fervent hymnody. There's an exalting of God in the place of praise. Shallow doctrine leads to shallow praise. And you see in Zacharias here, a man whose heart clearly beats for the glory of God and he exalts God in the praise. Note a few things he shows regarding his convictions for God. He understands God to be a God of revelation. Verse number 70, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets. God has not left us in darkness. He's spoken to us regarding himself and his will and his ways. God does speak. And he speaks via his prophets. You must understand that biblical truth is revealed. It is not imagined. These words in verse number 70 are very clear words regarding the doctrine of the inspiration of Scripture. Holy prophets spoke, but God spoke by their mouths. That is the doctrine of biblical inspiration. Men of God write, but they write and they speak as God speaks through them. You see, God's people, they treasure God's word. God's people treasure their Bibles. Their Bibles are something that provokes praise in their hearts to God. When you pick up your Bible, it ought to cause you to praise your God. He has spoken, and I have his words in my hand, and I can read them and know my God. And Zacharias, he praises God as a God of revelation. He understands God also to be a God of compassion. Verse number 78, the tender mercy of our God. The cross does not change the character of God. It is not the case that before the cross there is judgment and after the cross there is forgiveness. God is a God of justice and forgiveness and compassion, but also a God of strict justice who in verse number 74 is going to deliver the people out of the hand of their enemies. But God, who in the fourth place was also a God of faithfulness. 
And someone was to say to Zacharias, why are you so convinced that Messiah is coming? I believe he would say, because God promised it to be so. That's simple faith. Why do you believe Christ is coming again? Because God has promised it to be so. And so Zacharias is, is resting on the promises of God. He refers to the, the men of God. He refers to Abraham and to David. Verse number 73, he refers to the oath, referring to the covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham. He refers to the covenant to David, the house of his servant David. Verse number 69, God had promised that Messiah would come because there is only one way to get to heaven. There is only one Savior, one way of salvation. The Old Testament prophets, they pointed forward to the coming Christ who would save a people unto himself. And the New Testament, it reflects upon his coming and explains him and expects him to come again. One way. He sees God as a God of visitation. Look at the reference in verse number 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and verse number 78, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. It takes us back to the Old Testament where God, God saw the affliction of his people in Egypt and he visited them. The God who intensely looks upon his people and then comes and intervenes on their behalf. This is the God who sent Christ into the world. And you think of all of these attributes, revelation, compassion, faithfulness, justice, visitation, all these things that mark our God, do they not all flow out in the coming of Christ? Is Christ not the ultimate revelation of God? Does he not reveal God's justice and compassion? Is he not the one who comes and visits his people? Is he not the one who comes and is our Redeemer? And so Zacharias' theology, it begets praise unto God. But look in the second place, his Christology. We see his doctrine of God, but we also see his doctrine of Christ. Now, we, we look through the glasses, if you like, that are made in the day of Pentecost. We understand upon that day, as, as Peter preaches the word, that Christ, through his resurrection and ascension, ascended to the throne of David. And we see that. We learn about the king and the kingdom through our gospel eyes. We see the revelation in the word of God. You take Matthew's gospel, a king has come. And he's come to usher in the kingdom. But here we learn that an Old Testament saint, prior to Pentecost, prior to Christ preaching the kingdom, an Old Testament saint knew that Messiah was coming as a king. In verse number 69, and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Zacharias is describing the work of God in visiting his people. And God is visiting his people and sending a conqueror to rule and to reign. And monarchy is God's government. That there is a king who rules and reigns despite the view of the majority of the people. 
God's kingdom is not a democracy. It is a monarchy. And Christ is the one who reigns over the people. And Zacharias understood that. He understood that Christ was coming in the line of David, the servant of God. Jeremiah 23. And the verse number five, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely, and this is his name, whereby he shall be called the Lord or righteousness. Promising a king of the branch of David. A king that would reign and prosper. Language like unto that which Zacharias uses here. And yet the king that comes is Jehovah's again, you the Lord or righteousness. The one we see to be revealed in Christ. You read the entire book of Romans and you see Jeremiah 23 being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The king promised of old. The king's family is the line of David. And then the king's function is seen. He comes to reign in power. There's a reference in Luke 1 verse 69 to a horn. And hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. The horn is used with the king's power. Look at Psalm 132. And this ties the two things together. Where God promises in verse number 17, There will I make the horn of David to bud. I have ordained a lamp for mine anointed. His enemies will I clothe the shame. But upon himself shall his crown flourish. The promise of the horn of David. And that horn in the context of God's enemies being clothed with shame. And so Zacharias, you turn back to Luke 1. He says in verse number 74, that out of this promise of Abraham, as, David is, or as Christ is raised up in the house of David, that he would grant unto us, verse 74, that we, being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. What's Zacharias saying here? He's saying that David shall certainly reign. And that was that Christ shall certainly reign. That Christ will reign over his enemies. He will execute deliverance and judgment. So that God's people can serve without fear. In holiness and righteousness. All their days. These things are significant. This is a spirit filled prophecy. This is a true word regarding the purposes of God in the coming of Messiah. Messiah would come and would know victory over his enemies. The question that should be in all of your minds is when? Is Zacharias wrong here? Messiah came. Did he conquer all his enemies? Well, there's a clue, I believe, in the purpose that Zechariah announces here. It is that there will be serving, worshipping God without fear and holiness and righteousness. And thus, I think Zacharias is prophesying of the coming of the kingdom, as you might say, in two stages. Some felt the Messiah would come and overthrow the Romans. Remember Christ's fear in John chapter 6 says that they would take him and make him a king. 
There were clearly some in the time of the Gospels who believed the Messiah would come and overthrow the Romans. Yet in the New Testament we are told emphatically that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Thus seeing what Zacharias is saying here, it reminds us again of what God is doing in the coming of his kingdom. In this first stage, the king comes and conquers the devil. We have that in Colossians chapter 2. He makes a show of them openly. He triumphs over them in the cross. And yet in 1 Corinthians 15, we see that Christ comes in his second coming. And the last enemy is destroyed, namely death. So the kingdom comes in two comings. In the first coming, where Christ defeats the devil, and in the second coming, where the last enemy, death, is destroyed. At which point there is the ushering in of a new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness, verse number 75, in holiness and righteousness. Zacharias is showing that Jesus Christ came to be king, and as king, he would surely establish a kingdom. A kingdom in which the entire kingdom would serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness. You know, this is very, very important. That we remind ourselves of these things at this particular time of year. Christ's coming into this world is a reminder that we live in a world where righteousness is oppressed. What Zacharias is saying here has not yet fully come into being, has it? We live in a world where righteousness is still oppressed. And thus at this Christmas season, when the ungodly delight in this season... By practicing unrighteousness, it reminds us that Christ came to put all that away. And that though they delight in this season now, by living in unrighteousness, their very unrighteousness will come under the judgment of God when Christ returns. Christ came to ensure that this world will be purified from every sin. Christ's coming is a clear reminder to us that God's will is that we serve and worship him in holiness. Why did Christ come into the world? Verse number 74. Oh, we're told why. He came that his people would worship him without fear in holiness and righteousness. That's why he came. The ungodly, they hear messages of peace and mercy. But they are selectively deaf to righteousness and holiness. Peace and mercy came into the world in Christ. But they came to usher in righteousness and holiness and godliness. We must remind people of these things. Christ's coming is a reminder that he will come again. At Christmas... We remind people that Christ came into the world to destroy the works of the devil. We remind people that Christ came into the world to bind the strong man to spoil his goods. 
We praise God that Christ came into the world to usher in this day of evangelism. That all power belongs to Christ. Go ye therefore into all the world. Christ came to begin this work of kingdom fruition. And yet we must remind ourselves and remind the ungodly that he is going to come again. First time as Savior, second time as judge. And therefore, all who hear the word of Christmas, they must ensure that they are ready for the day when he will come again. Zacharias, I believe, had a very good grasp of biblical Christology. Well, let's finish with this. Let's think about his soteriology. What was his doctrine of salvation? Well, Zacharias understands a number of things very quickly. He sees that God's salvation is motivated by his tender mercy. Verse number 78, through the tender mercy of our God. God has these bowels of compassion whereby he is willing to save sinners and he's willing to show his grace to the ungodly that if they turn from their sins, they can indeed be saved. Dear sinner, God is willing to save. And sending his son into the world is the proof of his tender mercy. That's the motivation of God's salvation. What about the manifestation of it? He refers to the day spring. The manifestation of God's salvation. In the day spring rising from on high. Verse 78. Out of God's tender mercy, this day spring rises. The word speaks of the east. Speaks of the rising sun. And thus Christ arises. Malachi chapter 4, he arises as the S-U-N, the Son of Righteousness, arising with healing in his wings. He arises in a way, Isaiah chapter 9, whereby the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light, and they that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shine. Matthew chapter 4, fulfilled in Christ. He is the light of the world. If you're living outside of Christ, no matter how proud you may be of your own achievements or your own intellect, you're living in darkness. Christ brings light. So that in verse number 79, those that sit in darkness and the shadow of death can have their feet guided into the way of peace. What is the way of peace? It is the way of the cross. Isn't it through the cross that God secures peace? So John the Baptist comes and anoints one who is going to be the day spring. And the day spring that's going to guide the people unto himself as the one who is the mediator of peace. The securer of peace. The one whose blood brings peace. I think it's important. That when the ungodly around you talk about peace today, you know, what, what do they mean normally? Normally when the world talk of peace at this time of year, they're referring to peace between man and man. There's a very famous story told in the World War I where the two enemy troops, the English and the Germans, at Christmas Day, they stopped fighting the truce and they played soccer on the battlefield on Christmas Day. 
because it's a day of peace. And that's a wonderful story. But again, it shows us that people's understanding of Christmas is a time of peace between man and man. But that must only come in the context of man knowing peace with God. And so, dear saint of God, with a burden for evangelism, I urge you, when people around you talk of peace, point them to Christ as the place where they can find peace with God. That the enmity they know between themselves and God can be removed through the blood of the cross. He brings in peace, but via the cross. Which then is the manner of God's salvation. It is that people would know remission of sins, verse number 77. To give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of sins. The word remission speaks of letting sins go. Sins that are forgiven. So that people can then be sanctified unto service. That is how God saves. Our sins are forgiven so that we do not live in our sins, but live again in holiness and righteousness. Zacharias, he, he understood God's way of salvation. He understood that people were not saved to live as they please, but they were saved to serve God in righteousness. Thus the king comes and his victory is such that sinners can be forgiven and can be made anew. Spiritual victory, won by Christ in the cross. I, I admire the Old Testament saints. We have had so much more light than they had. And yet their faith and their conviction and their knowledge put us to shame. May by God's grace we be people of the book, that like Zacharias and like Mary, we would know our God, and therefore we praise our God and live for our God. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We preach Christ crucified. Thank you.